This is The Engine Room, Home Church Scotland's leadership podcast. Leadership is the driving force behind any organisation. Thanks for joining us as we share some of the things that we've learned on our leadership journey. It's great that we're able to uh, podcast and to also to stream these teaching times because last week we were down in Kent and we could watch. And so it was really great just to be able to join with you then. And uh, over these past few um, engine room sessions, we were looking at church culture. And we as home church leaders were striving to shape the church culture in line with scriptures, in particular Romans 12. And we want to build our foundations based on the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we believe that that's important. But why is it important? It's important because if we get this right, then we'll be a church that is healthy and vibrant and fruitful. We want to be all those things. If we don't get it right, we die. It's as simple as that. Because we look across our nation and we see churches that are dying. And we see that because the culture is wrong, that they're not based on the Bible. We need to have our lives based on Scripture. And this is uh, a culture which is important because within our culture, as we develop it, we don't want to see sin. We don't want to see things like gossip develop or crit critical spirits develop or things like that which destroy churches. So we have to understand that as we base our understanding of Scripture, we base our culture on Scripture, that we're going to see fruitfulness and growth. And not just growth, which will suddenly explode and come to nothing, but growth that will be sustained. So that's what we're looking at. So let's look at Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour, do not be slothful in zeal, but be servant in, or sorry, fervent in spirit. Now, last week, Pastor Dave was talking about not being slothful in zeal. And today I want to unpack for you what it means to be fervent in spirit. Some translations put it, and I think it's put slightly better in other translations, keep your spiritual fervor. Now, the word fervor isn't really a word that we use in our everyday language, is it? You know, are you feeling fervor today, brother? You know, it's not something that we would use, but it's very important in Scripture. And to understand that's important. Because really, if you're going to translate that today, it's passion. We know what passion means when you've got a passion for something. And passion or fervor involves all of our being. It's not just something that you take or leave. It involves every part of us. Our intellect, meaning what we know and what we understand, that drives our passion. Our emotions, obviously. Uh, that drives our passion and our will. So we make a decision to stick to something that we have a passion for. So if we want to define it so we understand what we're talking about here, fervor means three things. It means to exhibit particular enthusiasm, zeal, conviction, persistence or belief. That's one of the meanings. Or to have or to show emotional warmth or passion. Or, and this is the important one, to glow, burn, or be very hot. I'm feeling a bit warm at the moment in this room. Now we've got our heating working, but it means to be really hot. And the Greek word translated fervent that we find in Romans 12 verse 11 
and also in Acts 18.25 is Xiantas or Zeo, which means boiling. So you're boiling hot. And of course, the passage, if we read the Acts of the Apostles, also applies to Apollos, who was another apostle. And in Acts 18.24, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus and being fervent in spirit. You see that same term being used there about him. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Now, funnily enough, that same word, xiantus, uh, meaning boiling, is used by Jesus in the Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, which Pastor Dave referred to last week, where Jesus said of the church in Laodicea, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. And that word hot is the same word used in Romans 12. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's a very scary verse to read and a very challenging one for us and for us as a church. Now, why did Jesus use this particular analogy about being hot or cold here at Laodicea? When we look at the history of the place and the geography of the city, it makes sense because we find that to the north of Laodicea, there was a place called Hierapolis, which had healthy hot springs. Have you ever been in a hot spring? I haven't been in a natural hot spring, I've been in a hot tub. Does that count? That's really, really good. But then Colossae to the south had really cold springs, so the water was really good to drink. But in between, Laodicea had a problem because it was piping its water in uh, and it's come by a, a, an aqueduct and it was six miles away from the source. So by the time it got to the, to the city or to the town, it was lukewarm. So you couldn't do anything with it. You couldn't wash with it. You couldn't drink with it. It was just useless. It was tepid um, and unclean and undrinkable. And that's why I think uh, Jesus was using these particular words to the church in Laodicea because it, it was something they understood. So outwardly, this church in Laodicea looked great. It was numerically strong. It was good. It, was, it looked healthy from the outside. Uh, but actually, inwardly, there was something wrong. It was self-sufficient and unhealthy, and they'd lost their spiritual fervor. They'd lost their passion for mission and for Jesus. Now, as a church, what we want to protect as a leadership is protecting the church from becoming proud. Mm -hmm. Because when churches grow, pride can suddenly step in. And we want continually to be a church that is humble and walking before God, uh, looking for his direction and continually seeking his face. But we want also to be a church that's on fire for mission. We want to be passionate about lost people. We want to be out there in our communities, impacting our communities for Christ and for the gospel. There's a story I was reading about Dr. Grenfell. Now he was a missionary to Labrador in Canada and He'd spent 50 years there on the mission field and he was exhausted. And so he decided to have some R&R &R in Georgia on the, on the coast and was walking across the beaches and just enjoying the fresh air and, and all that kind of thing. And pastors do get tired sometimes, don't we? Just, just now and again. And sometimes we need R&R &R and just walking beside a lock or something like that just for a day or it can, it can, be, it can be amazing. It can really be refreshing. So anyway, there was this, uh, his secretary was making sure that nobody would bother him whilst he was 
getting some rest and recuperation. But there was one man who said, I really, really want to speak to Dr. Grenfell. And she said, well, you can talk to him, but don't talk about Labrador because he'll get so excited about it, he won't sleep tonight. That's after 50 years of ministering in a particular place, in, in his calling, and he was still excited about it. You know, I would like to think that in 50 years' time, I'll probably be in glory. Uh, but, you know, for some younger ones, you know, maybe you're still getting excited about home church and what's happening here. That's if the Lord doesn't come before then. Um, we think of John Wesley. John Wesley rode everywhere on horseback. And um, so he crossed the whole of this country, preaching in every town and village he came across. And it's recorded during his lifetime that he covered a quarter of a million miles on horseback. Can you imagine that? I mean, doing that in the car would be a feat. He averaged 20 miles a day for 40 years. He preached 4,000 sermons, produced 400 books. He knew 10 languages. And when he was 83, he was annoyed he couldn't write for more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. At 86, he was ashamed he couldn't preach more than twice a day. He complained in his diary there was an ever-increasing desire to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's what's called being fervent in spirit, if we want an example. And John Wesley was asked how he attracted the crowds, because he attracted great crowds wherever he went to preach. He said, I set myself on fire and the people come to see me burn. That's what it means. Fervor, spiritual fervor. We burn for Christ. We set ourselves on fire for Christ in all that we do for him. But I want you to note this morning, in Romans 12, Paul isn't writing to pastors and evangelists and great leaders. He's writing to us. He's writing to the church in Rome, ordinary Christians. And he's telling us not to lose our spiritual fervor. So we are expected to have that fervor, even if we are the youngest Christian or the most mature Christian or whatever. That's something that's required of each and every one of us. So using that, imagine for a moment if home church and if other churches are watching online, imagine if our churches, our people could be so burning with passion and fervor for Christ, like John Wesley and like that Dr. Grenfell, imagine what impact it would have on our lives, on our families, on our communities, our towns, our nations. And when we could just imagine, it would just take the whole nation by storm if we were just burning for Jesus every single day with a passion and a fervor. So once we've got that, once we've got the fervor, how do we keep it? Because obviously Laodicea had lost it. Well, let's look at what Jesus said to Laodicea. He said, you'd lost your first love. So if we want to keep our spiritual fervor, we've got to keep going back to our first love. Now, I remember that I've kept diaries all my life, ever since I was about the age of eight. Really interesting stuff. And when I look back to eight, I rode my bike. You know, <laughs> I went to school. I came back from school, <laughs> went to the beach. We used to do that in Guernsey. And then it developed a little bit because... Um, on the 27th of November, 1976, I went on a date with a lovely young lady called Bev. 
And my diary transformed from I went to school to I met her. She is wonderful. Her eyes are beautiful. Her hair is, you know, all of this lushy stuff, right? Slushy, lushy stuff. And, and it wasn't that long ago that our daughters found my diaries. So they, they, were, they thought it was hilarious. They were reading poetry I'd written and all sorts of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, anyway. So that was my first love and is still my first love. But, you know, even marriage, you know, you can sometimes begin to take each other for granted and you need to keep getting back to your first love. You need to keep getting back to that place where your heart warms when they walk in the room and, you know, and you want to write poetry and things like that. So you've got to keep making that effort. It's an act of will to do that, to get back and make sure you go back to your first love. I remember when um, people, I mean, I, I became a Christian when I was eight, so I can't really say this, but I, I know when people have become Christians, how passionate and fervent they are, that they want to attend every meeting, they want to volunteer for everything in church. They're there, you know, and I remember this young guy came in and he got saved on the Sunday. He said, what's on in the week? What's on in the week? I said, it's a prayer meeting on Wednesday. Oh, I'll be there, I'll be there. So he came on the Wednesday prayer meeting and on the Sunday there was like 90 people or whatever, 100 people, I don't know. And then at the prayer meeting, he comes, he walks in, there's eight people. And he said, where is everybody? Because he had a passion. He had this new first love that he loved Jesus. He'd fallen in love with Christ and he wanted to be everywhere and he just wondered where everybody else was. What were they doing on a Wednesday night that was more important? Didn't they love Jesus? You know, it's a challenge to us, isn't it? As we continue our walk with Christ is, do we still have that first love we had when we first fell in love with Christ? The second point is this, to maintain our fervor, our spiritual fervor, is by continually focusing on Christ, not on stuff. And we learn a powerful lesson, of course, you know, with Peter, who was the only one who had faith enough to step out the boat, the only one who walked to Jesus and wasn't terrified thinking he was a ghost and all this kind of thing. And, and as he walked, suddenly we, we hear that he started to notice the storm around him and began to sink. The minute stuff becomes our focus, we'll lose our spiritual fervor. We'll begin to sink. We'll begin to lose our faith in Christ. We have to focus on Christ. As a church, you know, there's lots of things that we can focus on. There's all sorts of agendas and there's all sorts of issues that we need to address, but let's always keep our focus on Christ. It's all about Christ and it's all, our lives are about Christ. The church is about Christ. This is his church. He's building his church. He doesn't actually need us, funnily enough, but he wants us to be part of his body on earth, which is his church. So let's keep our focus on him at all times. Focus on Jesus. The third thing is this, by rejoicing in trials. <laughs> That's easy to say, not so quite so easy to do. But you know, it's all about attitude and perspective. Our altitude will affect our attitude. However high we are, it's easier to look down on a circumstance than to look up at our circumstance. So we keep our altitude high. 
and then it becomes a smaller thing we're looking down of and it doesn't become quite an issue. And we rejoice then in our trials. So we keep our focus on things above. We keep our focus on the prize as we're running the race of faith. When we see Paul in Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A lot of people quote that last verse, didn't they? That last sentence. But it's preceded by the fact we have to learn to be content in all the situations we're in. He was a man who was beaten. He was stoned, left for dead. He was in prison. He was shipwrecked. And yet he says, in all of these things, I've learned to be content. How? How can he write, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. When he's being persecuted, when he's being criticized, when he's being slandered, when he's being gossiped about, when you know all these kind of things that happen, particularly to, to, to people in leadership. I mean, Pastor Dave will affirm this. I can affirm this. You know, without doing any wrong, we've come under all sorts of barrages of abuse. And so how do we rejoice in that? How do we, how do we thrive in that? Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's not personal. It's not about us in leadership. It's just about the fact that we are in leadership and the enemy of our souls wants to bring us down. He wants to discourage us. He wants to, to stop the work that Christ has placed in our heart to do. So we look at John Wesley. During the 19 years of sermons, he was pelted with rotten tomatoes. I wonder if they were Guernsey tomatoes. I don't know. He was hit with manure and stones, but he refused to give up. He was dragged before magistrates, beaten with fists, pummeled with rocks, harassed, harangued, lampooned by thousands. And yet because he rejoiced in his trials and kept his spiritual fervor during his lifetime, he saw 140,000 people saved. It's worth it for one. Amen? One person, one soul saved in our lifetime because of our spiritual fervor. One person saved from going to a lost eternity in hell, saved to go to spend eternity in heaven with Christ. It's worth the suffering. It's worth the pain. It's worth the trials. So let's not get discouraged by it. Let's continue in our spiritual fervor. You know, in Acts 5, we read about how the apostles were arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin, told not to speak in the name of Jesus again. And then in verse 41, it says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, they weren't discouraged. They knew it was under threat of arrest and possible death, but they still did it and they rejoiced in it because they count it as a privilege to suffer for Christ. I think if we want to keep our spiritual fervor, we've got to rejoice in the fact 
that we're suffering for Christ. The fourth thing is to lovingly encourage one another. Amen. Now, although I said we should rejoice in our trials, it doesn't mean that we aren't sometimes going to need encouragement. We're going to go through stuff, aren't we? In our families, uh, in our work, jobs, situations, schools, whatever it is, we're going to go through things. We're going to get exhausted. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to get discouraged because we're only human. But that's why we're in church. That's why God has placed us in a church family so that we can encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you're doing. In other words, carry on doing what you're doing. This is a great church for encouraging one another. I found that since we came a year ago. And so let's keep doing what we're doing and let's do it more. Let's do it better. Let's increase it. Let's continue to support one another as each other goes through different trials in their lives. You know, Paul writes to the Galatian um, Christians something quite amazing because we always think that the New Testament church, oh, I'd love to be there. I'd love to see the miracles. I'd love to see the healings. I'd love to listen to Paul preaching. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just we could just transport back in time. And if only our church was like New Testament church. Listen to what Paul writes to the Galatians. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Sounds great, doesn't it? It's right. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So we can see even in the New Testament church, there was stuff going on, bad stuff. People were being critical of one another. People were, you know, causing issues for one another, offending one another. If you bite and devour one another, it's like, did that happen then? Sadly, it happens sometimes in church life. So we have to protect that. We have to do that. And the only way you can do that is realize that we are here to love one another, support one another, not the opposite. And if we hear of someone being criticized, we come alongside them, we hug them, we say, look, I don't care what that person said. They shouldn't have said it because Christ loves you, I love you, and I'm here to support you. That's the kind of uh, kind of attitude and culture that we should be developing here. Which leads me on to the next point. The fifth thing, the fifth way which we can just preserve and enhance and ensure that we have our uh, spiritual fervor is by protecting the unity of the Spirit. I know we talk about it a lot, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, to teach us, to guide us, to empower us for service. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings Unity. Without the Holy Spirit, we might as well pack up and go do something else because we can't do it in the flesh. We need the Holy Spirit. There's no way on earth that we can fulfill the Great Commission without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that softens people's hearts to receive the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who brings that new birth in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that shapes and molds us into the people that Jesus wants us to be. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager, fervent, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's hard though, isn't it? Because we're all different. We're all from different backgrounds. We've all got different stories. We've all got different failings and strengths. We've all got different opinions or different likes and dislikes. You know what I'm saying? We're a, an unusual gathering of people as a church. Every church is the same. But within it, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm a spirit that brings unity. So we can have different likes and dislikes and everything else. That's not a problem. We're individuals. You don't have to all be clones. But having said that, we should be getting more like Jesus every day. So protect the unity of the Spirit. And then finally, uh, to maintain a spiritual fervor, we need to be humbling ourselves and praying and seeking God's face together. You know, I witnessed, and I'm sure you have too, churches that have grown from like little house groups in, or little home groups of a dozen people, and then they've suddenly began to spread across their towns and their cities and their countries, and then across the world globally. And you can think of some of these denominations, churches that have done that. And then they've become so big, suddenly it all goes pear-shaped and, and it just crumbles. And it, it's so, so sad to see because there's nothing wrong in that as a concept. There's nothing wrong in planting a church and then growing it and having other churches planted from those churches. That is how it should be. You know, you're, you're planting in different regions and towns. and see, I'd love to see home church do this. I'd like to see the whole of Scotland covered with home churches everywhere. Amen? But we've got to protect ourselves from becoming proud because it's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with being obedient to God, doing what he's asking us to do, and then the Holy Spirit does the rest. And as soon as a church becomes an entity, pride can easily step in, even through false humility, by the way. We can have false humility, and that's actually pride. And suddenly, you know, God can't stand pride. Pride comes before a fall. And so we have to continually watch our hearts and re remain humble, humble before God so that he can use us for his glory. What does God say about pride? Proverbs 18, uh, 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. That's very strong. God hates pride. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. So what does God require of us? It's very, very simple. The Bible tells us, Micah 6, verse 8, you're not going to get it clearer than this. It's black and white. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does he require of us today? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. 
Get this right, friends. We'll have a church that's going to be growing. It's going to be fruitful. It's going to be a blessing to many. We're going to see many people saved. And it's all going to be because, not because of our great achievement, because we've loved to do justice. We've loved kindness. And we've walked humbly before our God. It's simple, isn't it? And when you see the great men and women of God who's, who've gone and achieved great things throughout history, they were all humble. They were all humble. They were prayer warriors. They were people that loved people. Yes, they spoke the truth in love. They served God humbly. Another verse in the Bible, I'm going to finish with this in a moment, but the, another verse in the Bible about humility. And I've had people come up and quote this to me. Pastor, <laughs> you know, he said, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 is what we need to know in this church. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Unfortunately, some of the people that were doing this to me saying this is what you need to do, perhaps they needed to actually read the verse themselves because we have to humble ourselves first and seek God's face together as a church. Who thinks this land needs healing? Scotland needs healing. It's rotten at the core, rotten with sin and it's spiralling downward. It needs the church to rise up, to be a church that is solid, a church that is focused on Jesus, a church that is loving, a church that is humble before their God, that seeks justice, that loves kindness, a church that is fervent in spirit, not losing its spiritual fervour, not looking for fame or fortune, but looking for the kingdom of Christ to come on earth. Amen. And as we do this, I really believe that we won't be criticised like Laodicea, but perhaps we will be commended, hopefully, by Jesus for being a church that is on fire for Jesus, that people will come and see us burn in passion for God and for lost souls. So let's just reiterate, if we want to keep our spiritual fervour, return to our first love, focus on Jesus, rejoice in trials, encourage one another, protect the unity of the Spirit of run out of fingers, humble ourselves and pray. Amen. I hope that's useful. I hope that's uh, useful for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast or for watching online. We're now going to go to Q&As. Um, so we're just going to turn off the broadcast now so that we can have discussions amongst ourselves. But remember, tune in, watch next week. God bless you. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for The Engine Room. Why not follow or subscribe to this podcast and feel free to do the same to our social media pages as well as our YouTube channel. Find out more about our church at homechurchscotland.org.